The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. We're starting the book of Acts right now. Last year when uh, we did All Together in One Place, we kind of looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2. And last week we started chapter 3 when the Apostle Peter was going to the temple and there was a, there was a fellow there who had been lame ever since his birth. We're going to discover this morning that was more than 40 years. He was more than 40 years old. And uh, Peter looked at him and said, I, I don't have any money to give you, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the scripture says he did. He stood up just immediately right there. Suddenly he had the ability to walk. And everybody came running. It was a big crowd. And so he preached. And 5,000 people were saved. And so we come to Acts chapter 4. And this is the sequel to the story. And it begins. And it's a little lengthy passage. Stay with me. But this is the story. This is what happened. Acts chapter 4 verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Well, they arrested them. They put, in, they put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of believers came to be about 5,000. We talk about the day of Pentecost being one of the greatest sermons ever recorded, not just in the New Testament, but in the Bible, because 3,000 people were saved. But sometimes this one is overlooked, and actually 5,000 people are saved. So verse 5 on the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes, it's a Sanhedrin subcommittee to determine if there's any collusion. Just, just thought I'd see if you were actually listening. So they gathered together in Jerusalem, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all of the high priestly family. And when they set them in their midst, they inquired. This is an inquiry. This is, a, this is an investigation to find out what's going on. The question of the hour is, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man was healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, listen to this next phrase, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man he is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and has become the cornerstone. And verse 12 is underlined in my Bible. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were, well, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man was healed, standing right next to them, they didn't have anything to say in opposition. So when you don't know what to do, what do you do? They commanded that they leave the council so they could confer with each other and not in front of them. And so they said to each other in verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? 
For a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's threaten them, let's warn them to speak no more in the name of Jesus. So they called them back in. So Peter and John are brought back in, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now Peter and John, this is their answer, listen to it. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, Rather than God, you be the judge of that for yourself. But as for us, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. So they, so they further threatened them, but then they had to let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all the people were praising God for what happened. And the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So this morning, here's what I want you to get. The whole study of the of the book of Acts is understanding how God works. That's, that's why the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, the physician, to write it. It's a, it's a sequel to uh, the Gospel of Luke. So volume one is the Gospel of Luke. Volume two is the book of Acts. And Luke is the writer of both of those. And he writes this so that you and I could have an understanding of how God works. Now, let me give you two principles that we'll find over and over and over again in almost every story in the book of Acts. Principle number one, God almost always works individually, and he almost never works exclusively. Let me say it again, and I want you to get it. God almost always works individually, and he almost never works exclusively. Here's what I mean by the first half of the phrase. When 5,000 people are saved, as the Bible says at the, at the end of this healing and when everybody came around, each of those 5,000 had to be saved individually. Each person had to come in repentance. Each person had to come in faith. Each person had to give their own lives to Christ. I can't give your life to Christ. If I could, I would. I, I, I give all of our lives to Christ. If, if you knew what salvation in Jesus was and how wonderful it is and the forgiveness of sin and the certainty of heaven and, and to live a guilt-free and fear-free life, I would do it for you so you could, you could know salvation. And then, But I can't do that. Only you can give your life to Christ. God works individually in this way. But sometimes when we get the idea that he works individually, we think, well, then he works exclusively. And, and what that means by a lot of people's mind is, well, God works individually in me, so I'll find my own way to God. No, each of us find the same way to God through Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. You don't get saved, you don't get saved one way, and then I get saved another way. Each of us, even though we're saved individually, are all saved through the name of Jesus. And so that's a principle that we're going to find in the book of Acts over and over and over again. There's a second principle that we will find, and and here's how I've stated it. God frequently works suddenly, but he rarely works immediately. I want you to hear it, and I want you to understand it. God frequently works suddenly, but he rarely works immediately. If we go back into Acts chapter 3, the, the, the word immediately is even there, but it's used as suddenly. So here, here's a guy. He has been lame since the day he was born. He has never walked in his life. Now we know from the end of the book of chapter 4 that he's over 40 years old. 
So for 40 years, he's been waiting for God to do something in his life. For 40 years, he's been waiting for God. That is, that is not the immediate work of God, is it? Some of you have been praying for something for a very long time. I have a few people on my prayer list that I've been praying for for over 20 years. I'm waiting for God to do that. But listen to this. But when God does work, he tends to work suddenly. And salvation just comes all in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. In that moment when you give your life to the Lord, you don't, you don't like get 25% saved on the first Sunday, and then you get, you put, there's another down payment, and then you're like 50% saved. In the moment when you give your life to Christ, in that moment you're saved. It's a sudden work. Here, let me give you another illustration. We go back to Acts chapter 2, right? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, they went and they had a prayer meeting. Day one, they had a prayer meeting. No Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit. So they met together on day two, no Holy Spirit. Day three, day four, day five, no Holy Spirit. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying. God God didn't work immediately. Day six, day seven, day eight, day nine, no Holy Spirit. Let's be honest. Most Christians would have given up on the prayer meeting by now. Most Christians would have said, well, I can't come tonight. The bachelor's on, you know. But this group were meeting even though... God hadn't worked yet. But in Acts chapter 2, the scripture says that when the Holy Spirit did fall, it was suddenly, suddenly, there was a great sound like a mighty and rushing wind. And cloven tongues of fire set on each one of them. It's the sudden work of God. And so I want you to get this principle. You might be praying about something, and so you need to understand God rarely works immediately. It's rare that you have a prayer request. The first time you pray it, God answers it. That's a very rare occasion. But when he does answer it, there's a very good chance that it will be a sudden answer. It will come rushing on you like the Holy Spirit all at once. Now, the chapter is about spiritual adversity. Chapter 4 is about spiritual adversity, and Peter and John are the template for us. And we come to understand that spiritual adversity comes because of our faithful obedience. Let me this morning separate for you adversity from spiritual adversity. I speak on adversity all the time. Adversity is you church is over, you walk out, and your truck won't start. That's adversity. Adversity is you get home and part of the basement is flooded because the bottom of the water heater rotted out. That's adversity. Adversity is you go to work and they go, hey, we're going to downsize. We're cutting you from 40 hours to 32 hours. That's adversity. Adversity is the stuff that happens to everybody on the planet, whether they're saved or unsaved. You know what the Bible says about adversity? It rains on the just and the unjust alike. There are a whole bunch of things that just happen to people, whether you are a believer or whether you're an unbeliever. That's regular old everyday adversity. This is not that. Spiritual adversity comes because we are faithful and obedient to the Word of God. And because of that, we get a separate kind of adversity. We get a spiritual adversity. And, and here's why it comes. First of all, it comes because the world, the, just, the, just the world in general, is uh, annoyed with us when we proclaim Jesus, when we share salvation in Jesus, it, it, it's annoying to the world. Look in verse 2. You still got Acts chapter 4 that says, greatly annoyed, 
because they were teaching people and proclaiming Jesus. Now, isn't this interesting? Have you just never given it any thought? It stupefies me. Is that a word? I'm flabbergasted. I, I don't have words. The, the world is so lost, right? The world is so blind. The world is in desperate need of Jesus. The thing that they need the most, Jesus, is what annoys them the most. Have you ever thought about it? It's crazy to me. You, you, you talk to a guy and he goes, he's just a buddy at work, and he goes, man, you know, I think you know, my marriage is falling apart. You say, well, why, why is your marriage falling apart? Oh, the old lady says, I drink too much. And so, you, so, okay, well, you drink too much. Oh, yeah, and she also, she's also kind of upset about the last three affairs I had. Yeah, so, okay, so you womanize, you've had affairs, committed adultery, you drink too much, and she's going to leave you. Yeah, and he goes, I'm, I'm depressed. And you say, have you considered Jesus? Oh, don't give me any of that religious stuff. Isn't it crazy? So what are you going to do? I think I'm going to go get drunk. It, it's it's lostness. It's blindness. It's the blind leading the blind. It's, it's a, that which I just shared with you is comical, except that I've had that conversation a dozen times with people. So it's crazy to me, but they are annoyed by Jesus. But more than that, not only are they annoyed, but when the power of God is at work in our lives, it frustrates the forces of hell. It'd be one thing if the world was just annoyed with us. But Satan is more than annoyed. It frustrates the work that he is doing. And so the result is spiritual adversity. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. There's a guy there that hasn't walked in 40 years. Peter heals him. 5,000 people get saved. That is not in Satan's plan. So the, the captain of the guard comes out, the Sanhedrin come out, they're thrown in jail, they spend the night in jail, the next day they're brought in for this Sanhedrin subcommittee inquiry, and this is spiritual adversity. See, this isn't the same as the, your car doesn't start. This isn't the same as uh, there's uh, water, uh, hot water heaters out. This is spiritual adversity. So when you're in spiritual adversity... How are you going to navigate that? Here's the question. How can I navigate spiritual adversity? Now, you and I uh, know something about navigation that all the people who live thousands, hundreds and thousands of years before us don't have. Because we have navigation in our phones. You, you can just you go to Google Go to map. You just you said you, when you're done, you want to go to Olive Garden, and you've never been there. You type Olive Garden, comes up. Do you want the website? You want directions? You hit directions, and then she starts talking to you. Isn't it interesting that it's always the voice of a woman? That's a different sermon. <laughs> so, so we know something about navigation that nobody else has done known before in all these years because we have instant navigation all the time. And it's, it's done because of the global positioning systems. So I want you to take GPS. Let's give it a new definition. A God's positioning system. If you're in spiritual adversity and you're going to navigate spiritual adversity, 
How are you going to do that? You need to be in the position that God wants you to be in, God's positioning system. And there are three characteristics of that. And they're all right here in this story. First of all, spiritual adversity can only be navigated by those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. If you're reading, if you were reading your Bible through, if you'd got to the New Testament and you'd read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would have one opinion of who Simon Peter is. I mean, Simon Peter is the open your mouth, stick your foot in it, sink in the water, uh, d- deny Jesus. This, this guy, he's stinking it up. He's got to be the worst of the 12. Okay, you got Judas. That's Okay, mate, so he's number 11 on the list. He's the worst. It should literally shock you to get to Acts chapter 4, and it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, we talked about this in Super Bowl Sunday because it's the greatest spiritual comeback in all of the New Testament. It's a change in his life. This is the change that God wants to bring in every single life where we go from being selfish and self-centered and egocentric and we go from being narcissistic and we go from I want, I want, I need, I need and we start thinking about what God is doing in the world. And when Peter repositioned himself, when he put himself in the position that God wants him to be, then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what filled with the Holy Spirit means. Let me, let me just help you so that you, you know that you know it. If I said to you, uh, man, I was talking to my neighbor, he's just filled with anger. You would know what that means, right? That means he was controlled by his anger. If I said to you, there's this, there's this little couple in my church, and I, I watch him when, my, when I preach, and they're just looking at each other like this. Like two calves dying in a hellstorm. I said they're just, and I said they're just filled with love. You you know what I mean by that? It means they're controlled by love. So if I say filled with anger is controlled by anger, and if I say filled with love is controlled by love, then what's filled with the Holy Spirit? It's controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's it's the greatest single difference in the lives of Christians. And I'm talking about. Once you're Christian, the one who isn't doing well, it's because you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this is our struggle, isn't it? We want salvation. We want the forgiveness of sins. We want to go to heaven when we die. We just don't want God to be in charge of our lives. I want to be in charge of my life. And so the struggle for the Christian is you've got to let go of the steering wheel. You've got to let go of the reins. You've got to get in the back seat. You've got to hand off the, the navigation to someone else. That's what you've got to do. And when you give up the control of your life, then you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So understand this. You are not going to win over spiritual adversity. You, you might share your faith. You might experience spiritual adversity. But you won't win unless you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. In the very next verse, we discover the second characteristic for navigating spiritual adversity. Spiritual adversity can only be navigated by those who are guilty of good works. Now, the, it's really interesting to me, isn't it? I, the, the Luke goes out of his way to say that the guys who are in charge of the Sanhedrin subcommittee investigation are the same exact guys who were in charge of the mockery of a trial of Jesus not very many days ago. 
It's Annas and Caiaphas and Alexander and John. It's the same ones who murdered Jesus. And Peter is there in front of them, and he knows who they are. He declares it in his sermon, but he's a little bit, well, let's be honest, he's just a little bit flippant about his, his defense. And it's, a, it's even a little comical. Look at verse 9. Look at his humor. He, when he realizes he's in an investigation and he's being examined, he says, well, if we are being examined today, if, if what I'm guilty of is a good deed done to a crippled man, if that's my crime, then let it be known to all of you, and for that matter, all of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead that this man is standing before you well. Do you see it? It's why later in the story, they couldn't do anything to Peter. Because what he did was a good deed. Spiritual adversity can only be navigated by those who are guilty of good works. Uh, We live in a dark and a wicked world. It's so wicked. It's so corrupt. But if we look like them, then we don't have any credibility to our gospel. What we've got to be guilty of is not of evil deeds, but of good works. And, and, and the world's so evil. I heard recently where these guys had a kind of a bet. They, so they, they picked like the, what they consider to be the five most influential men in New York City. And they hacked their phones so that they could send them a text. And they sent, them the te- they sent all five guys the same text. All is discovered, every man on his own. They said all five guys left town immediately. Why would they do that? Because they were guilty of something. The world is guilty of all kinds of evil and corruption. But believers can't be. Do you know what we've got to be guilty of? We've got to be guilty of doing good. Because the scripture would later say, well, the man who they healed is here, and we can't deny that. That's what they have to say about us. They might be annoyed at our gospel. Satan might attack us, but the world would have to say, well, we can't deny that they do good stuff. This is a key for you to escape spiritual adversity. And then lastly, spiritual adversity can only be navigated by those who are confident in their faith and who walk with Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. I just, just remember, the last time Peter was around these guys is when they were going through the mockery of the trial of Jesus and people were saying to Peter, hey, aren't you with him? And Peter denied him three times. Now he's a different guy. Now he has confidence in his faith. Now he has confidence in Jesus, and he has a boldness about him. And they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. No PhDs from Harvard here. There's a couple of fishermen. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You you are not going to win in the uh, hour of spiritual adversity if you haven't spent an hour in prayer and an hour in God's Word. If you're skipping time alone with God, then when your spiritual adversity comes, you got nothing in your tank. Your, your, your tank's on E. It's on empty. 
the one thing about Montana is I kind of figured out when, uh, when, you, when you have a stretch like we just had, and it's like 20 below and 40 below and it's snowing and snowing and snowing, you know what I discovered about Montanans? They all run on the top half of the tank. And, and, and they don't turn their cars off. They just run into Albertsons, and if someone steals the car, they take a chance on it. You know? You, you run on the top half of the tank. And, and then, then if the weather's bad, you got, you got plenty of fuel. So when the spiritual weather is bad in your life, you need plenty of fuel. You need to have walked with God. You need to have a boldness and a confidence in your faith. Well, you know how the story ends. They, they don't know what to do with them. Because they can't deny the good deed. They send them out of the room. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we'll just, we'll just threaten them. So they bring them back in and they say, you can't, you can't do this anymore. You, 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 can't, you can't preach and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And it brings us to the conclusion of this this morning. What happens? What happens when I am forced to choose between blank and Jesus? Fill in the blank. Whatever, what is it? What happens when the corporation that I work for passes a policy or a procedure and I got to choose the corporation, the company, or Jesus? What happens when my school says I can't wear a certain t-shirt because it's got the name of Jesus on it? What happens when I have to choose between fill in the blank and Jesus? What happens when my boss says I, I can't have my Bible on my desk? What happens when you choose between fill in the blank and Jesus? The answer is choose Jesus. Peter and John, they say, well, whether it's right in the eyes of God, you can decide that for yourself. But as for us, we choose Jesus. And I would say to you this morning, what happens? Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. I want to ask for every head to be bowed. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.